from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report where we count down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Wow. Yes, this is James St. James, editor of the Wow Report with our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. How are you doing? And our millennial producer, Blake Jacob. Always here. It's like an advent calendar. We have a very special reveal this week for the number one thing that made us go wow. So please stick around for that. And um, let's, in the meantime, start the countdown uh, where we normally start it at number 10. Number 10. Who's watching the Showtime original series, George and Tammy? It just started. Oh, oh, is this Jessica Chastain? Yes. It's. Yes. Michael Shannon as country legend uh, George Jones and Jessica Chastain as uh, country legend Tammy Wynette. Who we know you are obsessed with. I am. I am indeed. And it's written by, it's all in the family because it's written by Abe Sylvia, who also wrote The Eyes of Tammy Faye with Jessica Chastain Mm. based on uh, executive producer Randy uh, Barbado and Fenton Bailey's award-winning life-changing The Eyes of Tammy Faye documentary. Goodness. Um, wow. What makes this also family <laughs> is that Abe wrote this uh, miniseries that he and Jessica have been championing. You know, you know how everything takes half a decade or more to get it out, and, and they did. And uh, it's it's based on the biography of George and Tammy, written by their daughter Georgette 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 Jones. Georgette Jones. I want to change my I name. I love Georgette that name. That's a drag name if I've ever heard one. Tammy Wynette. You know, we've just been talking a lot about Loretta Lynn lately because she passed. Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette lived in the same period. It's weird. I feel like I have to explain who they are. They're the biggest country stars in the history of time. But Loretta was like, you ain't woman enough to take my man and get away from here. And Tammy's persona, she was blonde, the the opposite, opposite. And she was stand by your man. And you're good. You know, when she finds out that her man's been a drinking, your good girl's going to go bad. She's going to tart herself out. So she keeps her man at home, turn their house into a bar. Um, she has heartbreak. Tammy Wynette, I tried to explain to people, she is beautiful. She had a beautiful voice, but there was, she didn't have the hugest range, she had a nice range, but there was a break in her voice at which that she would hit with like, stand by your man, this place in her voice where when she hit it, all of the pain in the world, all of the heartache in the world would come flooding out like a laser beam. And that's the magic of Tammy, Tammy Wynette. It's rambling in the best way. They really spent a lot of time with the music. She met George Jones. It's kind of a star is born story without, uh, because he was a huge star for at least 10 years. He is called the possum because he looks like a possum. Okay. That's country music for you. He's a legend. He's like number one. And his nickname is the possum. And George Jones had a bunch of like almost rock and rolly kind of songs, all country, but he became famous for this like, he was drunk. He was like drunk all the time. And he was, he would crash his car and live and all these things. And his, one of his biggest songs is later in his career was he stopped loving her today. And it's all about, they, they buried him and they finally laid his body to rest. Cause she stopped, he stopped loving her today. And all of his songs have like lipstick on, on, on cigarettes and ashtrays. He won't throw away because she's gone. Benson, please stop. Someone stop. 
No, I was going to say, how is Jessica as Tammy? She obviously has an affinity to play people named Tammy. Yes. She is amazing playing Tammy as a... Yes, yes. they both do. Michael Shannon and and Jessica both do their own singing, which I think ultimately is a good choice because there's so much of the stories told through songs. There's songs of heartache. They also recorded a number of big hit duets. I I love country because, you know, it's just three notes in the truth. But they had one of their big hits was um, Two Story House. And it's the idea they fell in love. They bought a two story house. And well, and then things turned bad. And well, she's got his story and I've got mine too. Now we live in a two story house. And uh, there's another song about Golden Ring where they're at a, I know I'm crazy today, where they're at a um, uh, golden ring shop in Chicago. And they see a gold ring and they put it on, they fall in love. And by the end, they have a huge fight and they break up and they throw the gold ring on the ring. And, it, and the gold ring goes back to the pawn shop where another couple falls in love looking at the golden ring in the window. Anyway, <laughs> it's fun. It's a ride. It's historical. It's great music. It's a glimpse into old Nashville. The hairstyles are amazing. Um, I was totally uh, in love with the first. I think there's six altogether. Um, and it's on Showtime, which is now run by Chris McCarthy, who has been the champion of drag race since we moved you know, to VH1 and and... And so he, you know, I, he took it from where it was going to air and put it on Showtime. So I watched two things on Showtime this week, which I probably haven't done in my life up to this point. Right. Are we going to hear more about the other one in a minute? Yes. All right. Well, okay. So let's move on to number nine, James. Number nine. I just watched the new Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix yesterday, and I was absolutely entranced. Lady Chatterley's Lover, of course, is the 1929 novel by D.H. Lawrence that was banned uh, in every country on the planet. If it wasn't in allowed to be printed in the UK until 1960 because of its explicit sexual content and its use of four-letter words that had never been in literature before. And um, this version stars Emma Corrin, who was just Lady or Princess Diana in The Crown, season five. Uh, and she is absolutely beautiful. She has those eyes, you know, that we saw with Princess Diana. And she's in like 1920s outfits and hairdos and everything. She's absolutely spectacular. Um, it's hard to see what all the fuss was about because to me... It's just like every other period piece that we watch nowadays, where it's just, you know, beautiful people and beautiful castles and beautiful period pieces. And they're romping in the, the, the meadows and everything and it's in soft focus. The story is that Lord Chatterley comes back from World War One and he's uh, crippled and impotent, but he wants his wife to go have an affair uh, so that they can have a, he, she can have a child and he'll pass it off as his heir. But then once she starts having an affair with the lusty gamekeeper Melors, he becomes increasingly bitter and angry about it and um, casts her out. But this, by, by this point, she's very much in love with the lusty gamekeeper who is played by Jack McConnell who is, was in 300 and he was in Skins. He's been around for like 20 years, but he is so handsome. Fenton, you're going to say something? 
Well, I I love this. I love this setting of the table. But the thing about Lady Chatterley's lover is the fucking. So yes, it's yes. fucking guy. Like, okay. So, <laughs> but like I said, you know, we've become sort of inured to fucking on on, on camera. Um, so that there's really not much you can do short of actual porn that's going to be shocking. There is one scene where he's orally pleasuring her that goes on and on and on, and she it, it's quite explicit and quite fascinating to watch. Um, from a gay man's point of view um but uh and there's the famous there's a very famous scene where they're running naked in the rain and they're fucking on the in the meadow and that you see full frontal with jack mcconnell and he is so scrumptious he is so beautiful and you love him so much do you have tom um, so- code for that <laughs> I, I do not you can but it's near the it's near the end um there's also uh some very steamy sex scenes yeah i mean it's worth it it's worth it do they use katie lang's chatterley lover song in it <laughs> they do not you know you think of the you think of mellers in the book as being this sort of like hairy woodsman and he's not he's like sort of like a twinkier he's like he's very hairless and twinky but he's just uh, when he gives her, when he orally pleasures her, it's just something uh-huh. for oh, the Lady Chatterley's Lover streaming on Netflix. Number eight. Number eight. Viva Magenta. Yes, Viva Magenta is Pantone's color of the year. Sounds you, like a war. You worship this. Oh. You love these colors of the year. We do it every I kind of do. James, it's reliable. Every year they have a new one. And it's around this time of year. You're like, what made me go wow this week? This is actually the 23rd year that they've they've done it. So I guess they started in 1999. And uh, Viva Magenta is, it's a bit red. It's a bit pink. <laughs> I just always love the way they describe it. They say it's a fist in a velvet glove. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> James, what's not to love about that? Yeah. It, it vibrates with vim and vigor. It is a shade rooted in nature, descending from the red family and expressive of a new signal of strength. Well, discuss. Well, okay. First of all, magenta is something, as long as it's more um, like wine or port colored and it has more of a dark I don't like it when it veers off into pink or orange magenta. I think if as long as it's more of a burgundy magenta, I, I, I have to Google work. it to know if I like it or not. Hold on. Um, but I remember in these past couple of years when it one year it was like a verdant green and one year it was like a pinky fuchsia. And they did a periwinkle. Mm-hmm. Yes, the periwinkle. And if you look around, it really does end up being in commercials, in fashion, in interior design. Like they really people really do pay attention to this. And I really do wonder if we are all going to be this time in a, next month, we'll all be in little magenta jumpers. Well, I see you in it, James, because they also add that it is a boundless shade, a real standout statement. There's no way you're going to walk into a room if you're wearing this color and not have attention go to you. It is audacious. It is witty. It is inclusive. James, I mean, they could be just describing you. There, yeah, well, the, see, that's where it veers into pinky right there. It's, I, I'm not what you don't have to die, paint your whole house magenta, you can just buy a magenta lipstick and, and yeah. be part, be fashionable. And that's or what I sort of like. Square. A pocket square, perhaps. <laughs> I know that next week James will be wearing a, a Viva Magenta Moo Moo, <laughs> a bonnet, a bonnet, yes. <laughs> a turban. 
<laughs> Let's take a quick break. Tongue Tied with Pangina Heels is the spiciest new talk show on the planet. Pangina welcomes guests, including Jujubee, Cheryl Hall, and Ongina, to one of LA's most authentic Thai restaurants for a series of intimate questions over an increasingly spicy spread of Thai cuisine. Oh, mm-hmm. that's funny. It's sort of like the, the, the sauce. Uh, yes, very saucy. It is very saucy, very so spicy. You know the one I'm talking about where they do the, where they do the hot sauce and where they the, do the interviews. And it gets hotter and hotter, yeah. Yeah. James, this is a totally original idea. <laughs> Blake, please take all of that out. I am totally <laughs> come for World of Wonder once again. <laughs> Rely on James. Tongue uh, tied out now on Wow Presents Plus. Let's take a quick break. Blake, do you have a question for us? I do. Which song composed in 1857 was supposed to be a Thanksgiving song, but is now traditionally sang at Christmas time? We'll have the answer right here on The Wow Report after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. Uh, It's Benson here with James and Tom and Blake with a very teasing seasonal question. Yes, what song composed in 1857 was supposed to be a Thanksgiving song that is traditionally sung at Christmas time? Well, it's got to be Jingle Bells, although I remember Over the River and Through the Woods to Grandmother's House We Go. That used to be, we used to sing that when I was growing up as a Thanksgiving song, and now that seems to be Christmas. So either one of those. Oh, was that 1856 too? Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Well, James, you were there. You should know. (laughs) Oh, that's what I was asking. Uh, You're right, James. It was written by James Lord Piermont who was actually the uncle of J.P. Morgan. I'll be Which damned. one? Over the River is the one? Jingle Bells. The original title was The One Horse Open Sleigh. Huh. But James, you would actually sit around the table singing a song, like as a family? <laughs> yeah, of course. Maybe in the car you know, on your way? We had a piano and mother would gather us around the piano. <laughs> and she would, she would bang out these songs and we would all sing. <laughs> Or riding in your one horse open sleigh. I mean, yes, like yes. <laughs> We're counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven, Tom. Number seven. Guys, have you heard it's Christmas? That is the name of a new, brilliant Christmas special on Showtime, conceived by Matt Rogers, starring Matt Rogers. Matt Rogers, if you don't know, is the rising star. He and Bowen Yang from SNL have a hugely popular, hugely hilarious uh, podcast called The Culturistas. Matt also appeared uh, on I Love That For You, that Showtime uh, series with Molly Shannon about and Jennifer Lewis about home shopping. He, and he's, he's there. And then they gave him his own special. It is so gay, so irreverent, so funny, so emotional. So, at the same time, over the top and perfectly calculated. Like, it's just, if you guys haven't, it's, I, I guarantee you will enjoy it. 
a lot of it's and it feels like an old fashioned. When I used to work at HBO, it feels like an old fashioned comedy uh, special where most of it's his stand up, or he does a lot of singing at the piano. And his I forget the name of the person who he co wrote it with, who he, he cries about at the end. But um, and then they have some sketches that they've done uh, that are just simple sketches. But it, and it just flies together. His parents are in the audience. I can't begin to recreate the comedy. It is hilarious. Dirty, dirty songs. It's a sexy Christmas. You, it's a gay, sexy Christmas. It's it's a must be seen. Have you heard "It's Christmas" by Matt Rogers on Showtime? It must be seen. This and Charlie Brown's Christmas and Rudolph Arendo's Zander are going to be the the next. Uh, that the, these three will live forever. Trust and, and it's a wonderful mm-hmm. life. Do, wow, do you not I have a mental picture? Where I tell you who Matt Rogers is. It's I okay. keep thinking of uh, the little bald queen from England. Wasn't he also? That's Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas. Okay, okay, sorry. This is, he was in the the movie of, that was over. Fire Island. Fire Island, yes. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, I love him. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. He is, the other contradiction of him is he's one of the tallest, fittest, sexiest men. Uh, you know, like, but he's hilarious and vulnerable. He, like, is everything, like, he is the new gay. Like, everything up to this moment in time was just to create Matt Rogers. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, okay. It sounds to me a bit like I've got to get Showtime. I don't even, I don't have Showtime, but you, um, you're making it sound pretty exciting. I'll see if I have a code I can share. I'd be happy to. <laughs> don't Let's get tell bad. everybody, all our listeners, all five listeners will get the code. All right. Keeping in the Christmas spirit, let's move on to number six, James. Number six. I watched a couple of Christmas specials too, and I am here to report on them. Uh, Michael Bublé's Christmas special and Dolly Parton's uh, Smoky Mountain Christmas special. And I've got to really call that, or did you just pretend that's the title? Because I, I like- think I, oh, it's on NBC. Um, NBC from both of them, and I made it both. I made it up. I, I totally made it up. Um, <laughs> but I got to tell you, and this is heresy to say, but. I didn't like the Dolly Parton special at all. And I'm giving it up to Michael Buble of of the two. I think Michael Buble had the better special. Dolly was um, campy in a way that did not work for me. She was trying to do a special that was like a written um, scripted show with characters and the none of none of she can't act her way out of a paper bag i'm sorry whatever you, you can say nine to five you can say best little whorehouse in texas and i will i will counter you with a million I, she just cannot act she's terrible and her guest stars really you know really what's his name uh who's really really Billy Nelson can't act his way out of it. Nobody on the show could act. The script was terrible. She didn't do any um, songs that we know. She wrote a bunch of songs, I think, on a paper napkin an hour before the show. <laughs> and tried this to is sacrilege. I know, I know it's heresy, it's terrible. But she's, and she, when she did do a song that we knew, she would be, you know, she'd try and do Oh Holy Night and she'd be in a, in a sequin, you know, leotard with yes. her boob teething. And you'd think, and she's doing Oh Holy Night. And it just, it's, you think it's going to be camp and it just doesn't work and it's sad and she looks terrible. I'm okay. sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, Blake, Blake, Blake. 
We need to call the exorcist. We need to call the exorcist. And we need to send the exorcist immediately to James home. And we need to get the devil out of James St. James. I apologize because I love Dolly more than life itself. But I do got to say that Michael Buble, though, he delivers in a way that, you know, he people will say Rat Pack. You call him Rat Pack, you know, you know, he has that Sinatra charm. He has that Dean Martin. He has, you know, he has this. He put you put him in a suit on stage. He sings nothing but classics. He does Jingle Bells with Kermit the Frog. That is absolutely adorable. He has. Um, he has guest stars come on. He doesn't try and reinvent the wheel. He just sings standards, and it works. He's got a beautiful voice, and he's very handsome. James, people love you because you're outrageous, because you speak your mind. But today, you have taken a step too far. <laughs> it's hard for me to even hear your love for Michael Bublé. I love a lot, too, because I'm still seething and reading from your <laughs> from your disrespect. It's 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 you can't. Dolly has done too much good for you to think you can take her down on one week special. You can't do that. She made the vaccine. For goodness sakes, what is wrong with you? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just, maybe I was in a cranky mood. You know how I get. And if I'm in a cranky mood, I'm not going to like anything. But That's this, probably what it was. This is beyond adjusting your meds again, James. This is exorcism. <laughs> As your, uh, the priest who just heard your confession, James, I want you to get to your knees after this podcast and listen to uh, Hard Candy Christmas 10 times by Dolly Parton. <laughs> That's my catechism, yes. Michael Bublé's Christmas in the City and Dolly Parton's Mountain Magic Christmas, both streaming on Peacock. Number five. Number five. I think this might be helpful to us at this particular juncture. Word of the year. The Merriam-Webster word of the year is gaslighting. And I think James has just been gaslighting us. I thought it was a little late for that uh, gaslighting to be, you know, given what we've been through the last four years. <laughs> I was going to say we've been be- being gaslit for about 10 years now. I mean, the the Czechs have already made an album about it. Right? Yeah. Uh, but last year apparently saw a 1,740% increase in searches for gaslighting with interest remaining high throughout the year. Um, the other word of the year uh, from the Oxford English Dictionary is Goblin mode. Which oh, is sure. Two yeah, I just went goblin mode a second ago on your asses. <laughs> I'd never heard of goblin mode till now. I don't know what it's it is. A, it's a TikTok thing, basically, I think, is where oh. it started, where you would show videos of people going goblin mode in which you go absolutely ham on them. You go crazy. You're, blah, 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 blah. you're yelling at people. You're, you're going bananas. Well, slight modification. It's rejecting societal expectations and living in an unkempt, hedonistic manner without regard to self-image. That is now, goblin. Now, I don't know about that. The minute you turn your back on Dolly Parton and the Dolly Parton Taylor Swifties, it's over. It's over, exactly. Eugene. This is it. Goodbye. You're canceled. So long. <laughs> the Dolly Dollies. But my the word of the year, that, that, by the way, Goblin Mode is the first word of the year to have been decided by public vote. Uh, and apparently uh, Metaverse came close second. But there you go. Um, my favorite word of the year is premature treejaculation. Explain, I think. Premature. Can you make that up right now? I did not. I wish I had. I'm just not that clever. (laughs) Premature treejaculation is the act of erecting one's festive decor in any month 
prior to December. Oh, okay, okay. So, really? like, when I would put my my, I had a silver tree, and I would put it up in July. You are premature ejaculator of major. Okay, okay. You've been I get premature it. ejaculating for years, James. It's <laughs> another something that might be causing to this anger towards me. Let's take one more break. Um, quick plug. We have a Christmas special coming to Wow Presents on our YouTube channel. It's called Make the Yuletide Gay, a very special Paul Lind Christmas, spoofing Christmas classic Christmas specials, classic Christmas specials, 60s, 70s, and 80s, written by none other than the Emmy winner comedian gay icon Bruce Villange. And starring, of course, Michael Arrington, Jackie Beat as herself, Lady Bunny as herself, um, and a whole range of other amazing people. I see um, a Tab Hunter and Salminio, and are, are these hot guys? Are these? Is it? Is it fun? Why well, love it? David Hernandez plays uh, Salminio. Jack Plotnick plays Eva Harris. I love and, Jack Plotnick. And Seth Rudisky plays himself. Yeah, fun. Yes, yeah, Seth yeah. Rudisky did it. I mean, if 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 we're not the audience for this. Nobody is. We were this is our kind of programming. Well, let's see what James has to say about it next. (laughs) It's not anything anymore. (laughs) Blake, do you have a question for us? I do. Um, I asked you a couple of weeks ago a question about Rita Ora and Taika Waititi. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you know who introduced them? Oh, interesting. Who introduced Taika Waititi and (laughs) Rita Ora. Thank you. I was about to say Kia Ora, which is an orange juice. I thought you went silent. I thought your mic went out. I <laughs> know. I just had a brain oh, fart. Just a brain fart right there. That's funny. <laughs> I need the exorcist. Send them right over, please. Um, all right. We'll be right back after the break with the answer. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Um... Hmm. Stocking stuffer time. Less than one month away from RuPaul's DragCon UK. Snatch your tickets now for the full three-day weekend, January 6th, 7th, 8th. RuPaul'sDragCon.com. All right, Blake, you had a question for us before the break. Yes, I asked, who introduced Taika Waititi and Rita Ora? I was going to say Fenton until I realized that Fenton has no idea who Rita Ora is. <laughs> so that was probably an impossibility. I feel like it all happened around Thor being shot in Australia when uh, we were shooting Drag Race. So I'm going to say Chris Hemsworth. Okay, uh, okay. Good guesses, good guesses. Um, it's actually Robert Pattinson, the Batman. Oh, well, the that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. And now they're happily married and living happily ever after, I believe. So that's great. Rando. We are counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four, Tom. Number four. There are so many shows to watch, right? On the network, streaming, and it's hard to know which are the best. Well, I can tell you which is the one I care the least about, that I want to see the least of any show on television. And that is Good Morning America 3. GMA 3. You have to wait for hours until GMA is over on the West Coast for, for, for lesser anchors to come out and tell you the news you already heard and give you this board. Just, it's just, it makes money, but it's just lazy programming, and I don't like it. Well, that was until TJ Holmes and Amy Robach, the co-anchors, both married, both lovey-dovey on the screen, 
had got caught in an affair. And now it is the hottest soap opera. It's soap operas are back, James, and they're on Good Morning America 3. They uh and they've they've taken them from you know, I'm very nervous. We're not talking about this, but White Lotus is just one episode away from Oh! Episode. Don't so get me started. I am just shaking about that. And so I was trying to like put some of that over into like Good Morning America 3 and the soap opera there and the relationship <laughs> stories there. And now they've taken them off the air. For, just because they think it's a distraction. I they did know. nothing I, wrong. No, but and they're getting their best, their best ratings in absolute decades. I, grow some balls, ABC Disney. Put the adulterers on television. Let us watch every nuance, everybody. If, while they're not on, they should be showing old clips with a body language interpreter. <laughs> body, yeah, body experts. Yes. <laughs> when did they first yeah. make love? When did they first make love? Now, a serious, not too serious note is they were set up. The paparazzi photos of them, what was them like across the street? It was like serious private investigator stuff. And I'm just wondering, who do you think set them up? Do you think one of them set it up so that their spouses would know? Does one of their spouses having a detective follow them? Like, they're not interesting enough to follow normally. But also, they're mar- technically, they're not adultering, right? Because their marriages, they both left their partners already, right? Or their marriage, that's sort of in well, between. But, but yeah, but, but the timing is a little strange because did they really... Did, you know, and it's none of our business, but now that it is, turn up the volume, have them on 24 7, put them in a house on CBS, and have them let's, let's shower with them, let's see them do everything. He I, is, I he is so handsome, he really is. They they are a beautiful couple to watch. I, I, I'm enjoying this rollout. I hope you know it's real people's lives, but I'm sorry, I, I need entertainment. Um, and the other good news is that Gio Benitez. Oh, I love me some Gio Benitez. Oh, God, be still <laughs> my heart. He's James Lothan. He's been subbing a little bit while they're away. So that's the only good news of this tragedy. But, I don't um, know if you watch, um, uh, if you follow Gio Benitez on Instagram. I do, of course. And his husband, Tommy Didario, who is a host on, I think, Entertainment Tonight. And they are the most beautiful, the most ha- the most wonderful couple in Hollywood right now. I love them both to death. Yeah. Back to you, Gio. They must just throw back and forth to each other. Like, hi, good morning. Good morning. I'll Gio. throw back and forth. I'll watch them toss it around. <laughs> well, I'm now going to toss it to you, James. Number three, what do you got? Number three. I am reading a book that just came out called Inventing the It Girl, Eleanor Glynn and the Creation of Modern Romance and uh, How She Conquered Early Hollywood. Um, Eleanor Glynn, if you don't know, was a fascinating, fascinating woman in the early part of the 20th century. She was a high society, upper class woman in England and in the UK in the 1890s. And then in the Edwardian era, she wrote a book called Three Lives. I think what it was. Three Weeks. Three Three weeks. weeks. You know what I'm talking about then. I've read the book many times. And it was a scandal, scandal. And it uh, it was a very sexy, sexy book. Can you you tell us a little something about it? Well, there was a a tagline uh, around the time in the 20s when she was so outrageous. And it went, would you like to sin with Eleanor Glynn on a tiger's skin? Or would you prefer to err with her upon some other fur? So, I always thought that was um, uh, Dorothy Parker, but it wasn't. It's just an, an anonymous thing. Because she made, uh, screwing on tiger skins was her thing. She, 
Uh, she yes. was the Lady Chatterley of her era. And Three Weeks <laughs> is a gorgeously overwritten but so romantic book. And just it's, it's, I always think of it as very sort of Barbara Cartland, but she was kicked out of society for it. And she went to Hollywood during the beginning of the silent era. And she wrote hundreds and hundreds of screenplays at the time. And she is most famous for she would go on set and she would teach um, Raymond Navarro and Rudolph Valentino how to make love to a woman on camera. So she is sort of responsible for the whole look of, of that era. And much more so than I think F. Scott Fitzgerald and Josephine Baker, she is the one responsible for the Roaring Twenties. And she very famously, I'll let you talk about it, but she um, coined the word it she, about Clara Bow. She said she just has it. She's an it girl. And she would write um, the movie It for Clara Bow, which sort of is sort of like a, um, a unknowable chariz- sexual charisma. And um, so this is this is her story, and it's fascinating. Um, Benton? I can't wait to read it. And she definitely, I mean, we've never really gotten beyond that idea of the it girl, like what yeah. that mysterious sort of magical force of stardom is, that itness. And uh, I suppose in a way she was like the Jackie and Joan Collins, what they, they were in the 80s. Or Jacqueline Suzanne. She's very Jacqueline Suzanne too, because she's all about the self promotion and you know and, and but she's also a, very much a feminist. Uh, she was she very much in, empowered women with their sexuality in a way that had, had never been done before. So it's a fascinating book, and I'm just getting into it right now. Oh, Eleanor Glynn and the invention of the it girl. Jada. Number two. Number two. Lenza, I hardly know her. Um, you know, you've probably seen on Instagram these magical avatars popping up everywhere where people suddenly look impossibly good-looking. Oh, yes. oh. And in space situations or in fairy princess outfits or hero stuff or half... I mean, just... I mean, beautiful. Have you done it? I gave... Uh, well, first of all, I, I was like, how do I do this? Where do I find it? And I finally... Asked, broke down and asked a friend because it was so embarrassing to have to ask someone, how, how do you do this? And it's an app. You do, it's actually not that hard, but it's an app called Lenza. You download it and then you upload. Is it free? 20, uh, well, it's free to download, but this is what happens. You, have, you upload 10 to 20 pictures of yourself. And then in return for um, five, six dollars, you get a hundred magical avatars of yourself and it takes about 20, 30 minutes. And, um, and then you get, you get a hundred pictures of yourself back and you can cherry pick the ones that you like. Um, so, um, and I gave in and it's incredibly vain and narcissistic and it's weird because it's a little bit like an unboxing. You can't wait to see what you're going to get and the truth is that some of them are really wonky, actually, and terrible. I did it twice. First time I did it, I did all these photos of me recently. And then I was like, well, that won't do. I'm an old, ugly goblin. So I found some older pictures when I had hair. I wonder if one straight person has done this because all my, my feed is flooded with homosexuals. And James, why are you shaking your head? You, What's your philosophy? Because you spent your 20s, 30s, and beyond in costume, being all these different characters, creating them. 
what what I what's the difference don't digitally? know what it is about this that just strikes me as I, I don't know. I can't quite pinpoint it. Russian bot. What? Like a Russian bot? No, it's just it's just seeing everybody, all these goblins, these just unattractive <laughs> old queens that I know trying their damnedest to plug in pictures of them at age twenty in <laughs> AI mode, like you just said, and it's just it's sad and it's a little pathetic, and I just find it distasteful. I don't. But know here's my sad, dark, dark view, and this is human nature. This is bad. And this is why the um, virtual reality is going to ruin life as we know it. Because there's also some smoking hot guys I follow on Instagram and Facebook, and they did it, and they go from being smoking hot to godlike. Yeah, and then you, yeah. then you see, then you see the picture of them just with their pores and stuff, and you're even though they're, and you're like, oh, it's disappointing eh. to go back to reality after seeing these. Is what you're saying? I think it's a little bit. I think you out hot yourself, and mm. and I do intend to like. I feel like I have another one or two years in this reality, and then I'm just going to be me. And fat invertebrate in a basket with like goggles on, where I look like some incredible. Uh... I I do think it has something to do with that too. I think that I have a very poor self esteem right now, and I am afraid to to do it because I'm going to think I'm, I'm just not going to look good, and I just don't I I don't think anyone should look good if I don't look good. <laughs> Who that's that's. So good. Old, you just need to find old pictures of yourself. That's all. That was the, the magical twist. And the, the, you're right. There's like I I'm painfully aware. I don't look remotely like <laughs> even even so remotely. It's like is that even? But doesn't me? it get a little depressing though to then to to see how beautiful you look in these pictures and then go look in the mirror? Isn't that sort of like I don't know? That <laughs> we're gonna have it. a future with no mirrors and only virtual reality. We'll there you go. Exactly. Yeah. The mirror yeah. is virtual reality. That is the digital pond that this narcissist is looking into, and I'm perfectly happy. I'll just just you'll find me looking, just holding up my phone, going. Oh. There are total <laughs> unsubstantiated rumors, like Blake said earlier that this is like some Chinese company getting all your facial recognition. It's like, oh, I feel yeah. like they could take pictures off the internet and do that. Because there, I have like some unlocking, like, you know, some bank accounts and things that are facial recognized. Uh, so I'm wondering, I don't want to give my facial recognition to anybody. Well, I'm what, done, I mean, there's no way my face will be recognized from these avatars it created. <laughs> I'm just happy that they're notionally connected. <laughs> well, well, I think Blake, will you put them up on the on the Wow Report when Fenton's uh, pictures on the Wow Report when yeah. we post this, please? Yeah, my way of of, of having sharing your same view and insecurities, James. My way of fighting back was I put a picture of Fred Flintstone and said, "Hey, I'm going to get this AI thing." <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of pranking the AI meme right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take one more break, and when we come back. So excited to reveal with us in the studio the number one thing this week that made us go wow. And wow, is he amazing. Yes. You listen to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom. And we are so excited to reveal the number one Thing, but person, inspiration, divine creature, who is our number one this week, Simon Doonan. Number one. Prolific author, 
prolific <laughs> author, I should say, and uh, most recently, of course, of Transformer, an amazing book that is all about the Milestone album, uh, Lou Reed's Milestone album, Transformer, released in 1972. No. So that's 50 years ago. Simon, welcome. I oh. just finished reading it today. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you about it. It's such a fascinating read, and it's such a moment in time that you set up so beautifully. You really sort of capture the what was happening at the time. Tell us a little bit about writing it and what he means to you. Well, it was like a dream project to me. This uh, editor from HarperCollins, um, Elizabeth Mitchell, she called me and she said, did you buy the album Transformer? And I said, yes. And she said, did you go to see the Velvet Underground? Yes, I did. Quel age am I? And um, I also went to those Bowie concerts, the early Ziggy ones. So she said, you're the one to do this. Because it is very it is very specific. And it was hard to find people that are still kicking and still have their dentures glued in who can talk about that era. Because it was such a long time ago. Uh, Elizabeth Mitchell is the book's editor, and she wrote a book, Liberty's Torch, which proposes the theory that the inspiration for the Statue of Liberty was the sculptor's brother, which means the Statue of Liberty is a drag queen. Which means the Statue of Liberty took a walk on the wild side. You also do a really good job of weaving your own story into <laughs> this. and uh, It's called narcissism, darling. <laughs> Let's face it. I was trying to be gentle there. but <laughs> James has no idea what narcissism is, so explain <laughs> that to us. Well, I figured there are lots of books out about Lou Reed. There's a bunch of them. So I thought, how can I distinguish mine? And I thought, well, just by vomiting my own personal story into it, into the um into the mix when i think of the velvet underground and that like the banana album and just the power that it had over me at like 16 and just hearing those opening chords of you know shiny 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 boots of and just the way it just opened doors in my mind like the thing a world i didn't even know it's um lou and and bowie and you know mark bowen and all of those really did just do a whole for a whole generation that was sort of what it was right absolutely i mean how did you come to the velvet underground it was you know because i was obsessed with warhol popism i'd read popism and Edie, the george plimpton and i remember going to the the record store and just seeing the banana and not knowing anything about the velvet underground not knowing anything about lou reed and just putting it on you know because of andy putting it on the record player and putting it and all tomorrow's i mean literally just chills even now see i thought you were going to say bowie because that's how i found the velvet underground was bowie was like a proselytizer it, you know, age 23, 24, he was, he discovered them and thought, oh, they have something kinky, weird, strange that I don't have, you know, and I think he, he immediately saw that this was something he should get close to and have a bit of osmosis with, you know, and he would blab about them all the time. And that's how I heard about them. Do you think that, that Bowie was being a, a culture vulture and sort of feeding off of the underground or was the underground feeding off of Bowie? Who is, who it, is was, doing them? it was pretty mutual. And, you know, Bowie, um, age 25, he made this album. Imagine him saying, oh, I'm going to produce your album. 
to Iggy Pop and as he did with Iggy Pop and with Lou Reed. Like he had real cojones at a very young age, Bowie. It was quite extraordinary. I mean, I was so disorganized when I was 25. I could never have done anything like that. And so it, he's really, you know, I, I, want, I hope I got that across. Bowie's just one of a kind. And I think and seeing just people weeks. with charisma, yes, finding people with charisma and kind of enmeshing, you know, absorbing them, enrobing them, um, it's like that's a magical skill, you know? No, towards the end of the book, um, Bowie says to, uh, after Blue Reed passes and Bowie says to the wife about how, you know, um, his greatest album was one of the last ones that he did, the Metallica one, I think, was it? <laughs> And it's just the idea that, that Lou Reed never really sold out, that he was always true to his like underground roots in a way that Bowie certainly wasn't, you know? Well, I think that, um, yeah, I think Bowie was sort of paying a, a compliment to, to Lou exactly that, because I don't know how many times you've listened to that album, Lulu, the double Metallica album. <laughs> it's a little challenging, Yes. It's not. It's not the Carpenters. It's not Abba. <laughs> it doesn't slip down easy. But he, he was doing exactly what you did. He paying a compliment to him of having remained edgy. But actually, Transformer. After he made Transformer, it was so successful. And compared with his other albums, and um, was essentially quite poppy. And I think he it caused him to think, "Who am I? Am I really?" You know, like it got a lot of crummy reviews because his hardcore American fan base thought, well, he's just gone to London and bought a feather boa and painted his nails and gone berserk and made this super accessible album. Whereas I quoted Andy Warhol because Andy Warhol said, there are people with heavy brains who hate words like charm and pretty. And he said, these are the most important things in life. And it was, it's a very charming kind of pretty album and I think Lou it gave him pause afterwards and it helps guide him into that more kind of avant-garde less compromising because the next album was Berlin Mm. have a nice day I think it's also very camp and I think your definition of camp is perhaps the greatest definition of camp that (laughs) exists so can you share it with us well camp is so complicated like um, does it mean, oh, he's just Nelly? Because in that in the um, big Bowie Moon Age Daydream um, documentary, there's a girl in a knitted hat, very 70s, cherries on the side, big lips. And she says, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's dead camp, but he's very attractive. Like people used to use camp to mean um, somewhat Nelly, effeminate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also has the sort of Susan Zontag meaning which is an exercise in failed seriousness i love that i think we've all been (laughs) and uh you know like something which purports to be very serious and important is actually just hilarious um so that's her so there's sort of two definitions but i yeah my definition is like a camp person and i am looking in the mirror right now a camp person (laughs) is somebody who does everything as if they're doing it. Like right now, I'm on a Zoom call, as if on a Zoom call. And that's, to me, that's the definition of camp. Like if you're diving into a swimming pool, you can either just 
plop in there like an old fish. Or you can give it the whole Esther Williams treatment, like dive in as if diary being into <laughs> smoke a cigarette as if smoking. Tom, what? I do a lot of it if it's sparkling. Just your, uh, I, I just thought of going into the pool with sparklers. I just thought of that, you know, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do my QVC part of the program. I'm the host. I have to push product. We just got a call from upstairs that these books are flying off the shelf. They're selling, selling, selling. <laughs> and we think they would make, it's, it's called again, Transformer. A story of glitter, glam rock, and loving Lou Reed. And, you know, I think it makes a great uh, st stocking stuffer. Okay. It's something that if you're traveling this holiday, uh, it's a good sober uh, January, dry January kind of read. Just, you know, get one, buy several, have them in the closet, give them when someone comes over. Hostess gifts, yes, wonderful gift. hostess yes. gifts. Yes. It is a book you can read in one sitting. It is not like Anna Karenina, where you're going to be burdened with thousands what are you saying? of things. <laughs> I am saying it is to the point. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, you know, perfectly formed. It is a, as if a book. In Amu's it is as if a book. It is a well, back to Elizabeth Mitchell again. She found this wasn't me. She went to the New York Public Library and unearthed this incredible quote from Lou a couple of years after the album came out, and Lou said. We wanted to give gay people the love songs that they deserved. And I oh, think that's I sort of, that. that's very sweet, isn't it? And, and Elizabeth found that quote. And, you know, we, that was, I think, what inspired her to want to do this book. So very sweet. What is your favorite? Do, do you have a favorite song? Well, I have to say, I love Satellite of Love because you can really hear Bowie on there. And I'm kind of never not obsessed with him, you know, the pom, pom, pom. Maybe we should all do the pom, pom, poms. <laughs> pom, pom, pom. <laughs> I think it's a little higher. <laughs> pom, 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 pom. I was doing my uh, basso roti <laughs> thing. Oh, really <laughs> Simon, thank you. You have written a masterpiece. It is like a Fabergé egg of gorgeousness. Oh, I thank you. Mercy buckets. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you also for listening. This is all we have time for on the WOW Report this week. You can check us out on our YouTube channel, WOW Presents. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow, wow.